Good morning. And the the good Lord bless each one of you. I have really been blessed by the service this morning. I've been blessed and I've been challenged and I've been encouraged. And that's what uh, that's what we're here for, to worship the Lord and to listen to him. I'm going to go back about 46 years as an introduction to what I have to share with you this morning. And 46 years ago, I was working as a as a game warden in Colorado up in the in the high mountains. Uh, we had a little cabin up at 8000 feet and the mountains were named the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. And that's kind of prophetic because translated into English, that says the blood of Christ and the, the river. There was one river in the district ran right near our cabin there. And that river was El Rio de las Almas. And that's the river of lost souls. So, again, another prophetic um, memory in, in my own mind, at least. <clears throat> the Lord had laid it on my heart to, during this time, to study the Bible. Well, I didn't have a Bible. I'd never owned a Bible. I'd never read a Bible. So one day I went to Colorado Springs and I bought a Bible and I took it home and I started to read the Bible. I read it straight through from cover to cover. And just to kind of sum it up, I will say that book changed my life completely. It completely turned it around. And four years later, five years later, I was baptized at the Fairview Mennonite Church. The time in between is several books. And I can't begin to really explain all the differences, all the progressions, all the changes, all the turmoil, all the difficulties that were involved in that. But that's not my point today. And what Glenn said, what we had talked about, what are my what are my impressions? What are my strongest, maybe overall impressions of what I can pass on to other brothers and sisters in Christ who are engaged in the Lord's army? We're fighting a spiritual warfare. It's not going to end until we leave this earth. It looks like it's getting worse all the time. My perspective is going back 78 years now, and things are not evolving into a better world. There's no question about it. Um, I'd like to read for an opening a few verses in the book of Jeremiah. And if you want to, you can turn to Jeremiah uh, chapter 29. And just four verses here, uh, three verses Excuse me, uh, Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13. And the historical context of this is interesting because here the Lord had allowed the nation of Judah to be overrun by the evil empire of Babylon, and it was for their own good. They had brought it on themselves. But he hadn't abandoned them. They were his people. And in verse 11 here, he says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me and you shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall seek, when you shall search for me with all your heart. And it's interesting there that searching, uh, the connotation there is that's a continuing thing. It's not just a one time event. You know, they were supposedly God's chosen people, and yet they turned to idolatry and and covetousness and all kinds of evils. And they had brought their bondage on themselves. But he says, I've not I've not abandoned you. I still want the best for you. But you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. That's a continuing process, and it's a continuing process for each one of us today. In the Bible, it says, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There's, when we look back at the time where we were converted, that's a highlight. You know, that's, a, that's a big change. That's the beginning of a change, but it's only the beginning. And what I'd like to talk about this morning is beyond conversion. Beyond conversion. Because conversion... Like the birth of a baby, a new baby comes into a home. That's just the beginning. It's a it's a blessing. It's a joy. We have a new child in our family. And yet that child has to grow. If it doesn't grow, if it's not fed, it won't grow. If it's not cared for, it won't grow. And we need to grow, too. 
I remember one time when I was at work, a man came in and we were talking spiritual things. And he was a Christian man, professed to be. And he said, when were you saved? And I thought about it a second. I said, today. Today. And he kind of looked at me and said, look, I, I was saved back in, I don't know, six or whatever. I can't remember. But our salvation is a continuing process. And in that process, we grow, just like the baby. We have to grow. If we don't grow, we're going to stagnate. We're going to become lukewarm. We're going to be called, we're going to be compromisers because that growth is absolutely essential. Where I am today is not where I hope to be when I leave this earth. And it's certainly not where I was 46 years ago. And hopefully that's the same for each one of us. So my burden for, each, for myself first and each one of us is to... Seek those things above. Seek those things which help me to grow more like Christ. Because right now, I'm not just like Christ. And as I go through these thoughts, these scriptures, maybe you can identify with some of the things I'm saying. Continuing in God's word. Conversion is only the beginning. In 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter says, Grow in grace and in the knowledge of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The more we grow, the more we know, the more fit we are to be his servants, to be his faithful servants, his disciples. When I worked in Harrisburg a number of years ago, back in the 80s, I worked at Hurd's machine shop there. And one of the fellows was a machinist, and his name was Ralph, and he professed to be a Christian. And we got along good. He was a pleasant fellow to work with, nice fellow to work with. But I was a new Christian at the time. I think I still am. And Ralph and I, we would converse about spiritual matters. But there were some things about Ralph that kind of bothered me a little bit. Uh, he was divorced. He wasn't remarried, but he was divorced. Um, he was a heavy smoker. And in the five years I worked at Herds, he was only... At work on time, never. He was never at work on time. And he had all kinds of excuses. But his, the door to his place where he lived and the back door of Herds was less than 100 yards apart. Five years. He was never, never on time. And I'm not saying five minutes, ten minutes. This was an hour, hour and a half, two hours. And I asked him one time, I said, Ralph, do you, do you read the Bible? Oh, he says, no, he says, I really don't. He says, uh, he kind of chuckled and he said, well, I'm afraid if I did, the Lord would press me into service. And I thought, oh, my, that's exactly what he wants to do to each one of us. Not just read the Bible, but study it, study it. And I thought, oh, Ralph, you're, you're missing so much. You're, and, and we talked and talked, but no, he's just, yeah, he's just kind of happy. Praise the Lord. He's, he's kind of happy. In. The Bible, we read about a man named Paul. And in Philippians, Paul says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I press toward the mark. He's, he, this man, and, and you look, this is the man that wrote 13 of the, of the books in the New Testament. This is a man that was close to God. This is a man that suffered. He was persecuted. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was left for dead. He was stoned. And he still, he said, I need to grow. I need to grow. I'm pressing toward the mark. And that's what Ralph needed to do. And he was afraid of it. And that's what we need to do. Let the Lord press us toward the mark of the high calling. And Paul uh, and Philippians, Paul concludes this by saying, let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Are we do we want to be perfect or is it, is it OK to be just kind of lukewarm? You know, do we want to grow? Do we really want to be zealous for the Lord? Do we want to have the courage that fellow had to stand up and say, praise Jesus? You know, this, there's a lot of there's a lot of oppression around us kind of dampening that, you know, we, you know I'm a Christian, but. You know, I don't want anybody to know it. You know, it's just, you know, it's not real popular today. There's an account given in Matthew 7 that when I first read the Bible, it was really sobering to be. And this, 
this kind of um, explains maybe exactly what Glenn was saying this morning. Our, our goal, our need is to be, not so much to do, it's to be. The Lord wants to work in us from the inside out. He wants to change our heart. He wants to transform us. He wants us to be somebody different. The do's are going to follow that. The things that we do are a consequence of what we be. And the more Christ-like we be, the more Christ-like we're going to do. But I read in Matthew 7, there's an account here, and it's given, some people, given about some people at the, at the end time. Time's gone. There's no more mercy. There's no more opportunity. And there are some people come to the Lord and they say, and, and, and they have, you know, Lord, we, we've done this and we've done that. We've, we've cast out demons. You know, we've, we've done many wonderful works. We prophesied in your name. And these people, it sounds like they're arguing with the Lord. They're trying to convince them of something. And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. They never knew you. There was never, you know, a total, unconditional surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And, you know, how tragic that is, because these people were apparently were were fooled. You know, they thought, now, fine, you know, I, I do all these things. But all the things we do, unless they're done because of who we are in Christ, they don't mean anything. You know, and to the to the common world around us, that doesn't make any sense, because, you know, the more you do, the better a person you are. Uh-uh, it doesn't work that way. The better a person you are, the more you're going to do. In uh, another chapter of Peter, Second Peter, he says, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Here's where we grow. We get the word of God. That is the nourishment that we need to grow. Without it, we are not going to grow. We can have the best intentions and we can be look, just look the look and walk the talk the talk. But unless we feed on the word of God, we are not going to grow just like that infant. It's not going to grow. If you don't feed it milk, it's not going to grow. It's going to die. And when we die, we die spiritually. Again, another uh, verse in Ephesians, speaking the truth in love. Grow up unto him. Grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Grow up into the head, which is Christ. And it says, speaking the truth in love. And remember what the greatest commandment is. It's to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, that's the foundation. We can't bypass that. Now we have to build on that. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, it's a lot easier to love God that we don't, we've never seen than it is to love some of our neighbors. It's just a lot easier. But this is the, it's part of that foundation. You can't separate it. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge. I have had some neighbors in the past that were very unlovely people. Maybe some of you do too. And yet the Lord says, love them, pray for them, do good to them. Yuck. Oh, that's tough. But until we grow more Christ-like, we can't do it. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't love our enemy in our own strength. It's not possible. Do we really want to grow? And I'm going to list here some requirements. Do we really want to grow? Do we really want to grow in Christ? Do we really? Is that, is that something we need? Do, do I need to grow? Laodicea said, I've need of nothing. You know, I've got everything. And, and, and Lord, that's the one church. Lord didn't say anything good about them. He said, you're poor and wretched and blind and naked and you don't even realize it. Do I have a need to grow? If I don't have a need to grow, that's my first warning sign. That's a big warning. Do I want to grow? How badly do I want it? Am I open to all of God's word? All of it. You know, we have all kinds of different supposed Bibles out there anymore. And I'm, I'm sure some of them are good, but we have to be discerning. Some of them are not good. Some of them are paraphrases and some of them may have some good to them. But some of them have eliminated a number of passages and have changed a lot of the wording and the meaning in Scripture. We have to be careful there. Do we buy a translation and go by the one that we're most comfortable with or the one that's most truthful? Are we open to all of God's word? In Second Timothy, 
Paul writes, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Perfection. And, and the Bible says, it says, be perfect as I am perfect. Now that's, that's quite a goal. Are we willing to work to grow? You know, grow, growing is, is hard. It, the Christian life is not an easy road. It has not been an easy road for me. It has been very, very, very costly. And it has been very, very hard. But the Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. A workman, study. You know, a lot of people talk about reading the Bible. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with reading the Bible. But studying the Bible is a lot different than reading the Bible. You know, we, when we study the Bible, we, we get things that the Lord reveals to us that it seems like he honors he honors that studious approach to his word rather than just a casual reading. You know, I read two chapters today, so so what? And I tried to read through the Bible in a year one time, and I got so frustrated. I just went back, and I started over again, and I read slowly. Instead of three chapters every night, I read slowly. And it took me, I don't know how long to get through it, but I got a lot more out of it. And that's just me. Maybe you can read through it in a year and get a lot out of it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that either. <clears throat> Are we willing to pay the cost? Are we willing to pay the cost? There is a cost in spiritual growth because we are more pressed into the service, just like that man Ralph was trying to avoid. We're pressed into service. The more we know, the more accountable we are. And so if we... Figure, well, therefore, if I don't know very much, I'm not very accountable. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. We need to be willing to pay the cost. In uh, the parable of the sower and the seed, um, the man who, he that received the word in stony places, and the Bible goes on to say, he hath not rooted himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, by and by he is offended. There's a cost to being a Christian, you know, and, and there's a cost in in popularity in friendships and sometimes even in family relationships. There's a cost to it. You know, are we willing to pay that or is it it's just, you know, just kind of too much. And many of us will have to cross these bridges. Many of us will have to cross some very big, difficult bridges. But what's it worth? What's involved in spiritual growth? How do we grow? How do we know we need to grow? Well, at the end here, I've got a formula that's going to show each one of us, me included, how much we need to grow. And it's totally scriptural. So you think about that for a little bit. But first, we need to admit our need. Do I have a need to grow or am I fine where I am? I kind of. You know, just comfortable and things are going along pretty good. And I yeah, don't want to make any waves, you know, don't want to rock the boat. No, no, <laughs> no. I have a need. I have a lot of needs. And the time's running short. In my journey on this life, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I turned 78 last September. But I have a need to grow. You know, one of the things that I was going to mention later something about. How many times at church we have Sunday school class in the morning and I'll study the Sunday school lesson. I think I've studied it and I have some ideas and I go to get together with these other brothers. And they come up with ideas. I never thought of that. It's right there. It's right there in the Bible. It's just as clear as could be. Why didn't I see that? And I happened this morning. This was good. Your your Bible study was really encouraging. And your children's lesson, that was really good. This is, this is part of growing. Uh, 
are we enthusiastic about a relationship with the Lord, or is it just kind of an add-on? No, that, that won't do. That won't do. We have a need to grow closer to Him, just like Paul did. And Paul, if Paul had that, how in the world could we be any different? Do we have a hunger for personal holiness? Personal holiness. My life is devoid of all those things, the greeds and the lusts and the angers and the, you know, all those things that we're just pressured with day after day after day, no matter where you go. And, and what makes it so hard sometimes is you talk to other professing Christians and they, you, 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 what's the matter with you? You know, there's nothing wrong with this or that. Or We're willing to listen to the Lord and listen to his word. Not to, not to me, not to, you know, verify what I'm saying by God's word. If it's not true, throw it out and tell me, too. The Bible says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Holiness is separate. Uh, it's separation. It's actually what it means. It comes from the word sanctus, which is separated. We are to be separated, not from people, but from evil, from evil people. That's our mission field. It's not that we make our best chums out of evil people. That's not what it's saying either. But holiness is a personal requirement in God's sight. And that is separation from sin and the appearance of sin as well. Evil, the appearance of evil. We can, we can actually appear to be sinning and evil and not be doing it. We don't want to do that. And that's, that's another long story. We need to be open to the truth. We need to have ears to hear. And how many times the Bible talk about he that hath ears to hear, let him listen. When Nathan came to David, what was David's response? You know, David had murdered a man. He had committed adultery. And Nathan came in and he said, you are the man. And David said, I have sinned. He was open. He received Nathan's rebuke. He could have set off with his head like some of these other kings did. Herod. John the Baptist threw him in jail. You got no no right to tell me I can't marry my brother's wife. Yeah, yeah, right. Ears to hear. Adam and Eve. When when the Lord came to Adam and Eve and said, "Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree?" Well, she told me. She gave it to me. And, and, and you gave her to me. So it's your fault and her fault too. And, and Adam said, well, she, she, she gave it to me. You know, the, both the first thing they do is blame somebody else. They blame God. They blame the serpent. They blame Eve. You know, it's like, so are we open to correction? Are we open to the truth? One of the things that has... Uh, Really impressed me over the years. I do these correspondence course uh, corrections for the Bible, uh, Bible correspondence courses for prisoners. And so often there's a section in one of the lessons where you give a little bit of your life history. And so often they talk about the injustice of the court system. And, and I shouldn't be really in here with all these criminals. And, you know, I'm really a good person. And this thing comes, keeps coming up and up and up. And there. Our prisons are filled with innocent people. I don't think so. And then when you read some of the things that are involved in this, like blame, you know, blame somebody else. Um, it's not my fault. It's everybody else's fault. It's the way I was raised. It was my parents' fault. It was my, it's my minister's fault. It's my church's fault. It's my neighbor's fault. It's my husband's fault or my wife's fault. You know, we're without excuse. You know. Accepting the cost is another thing that we have to consider in our in our spiritual growth, you know, to grow. There's a cost in growing. Again, like Ralph said, we'll be pressed into service. But there's an even greater cost than that. In uh, Luke, Jesus said, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Forsaketh all that he has. And when he told that to the rich man. You know, sell what you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. He said, no way. He said, I'm not going to do that. I mean, that's ridiculous. 
God wants to be first in our lives. And what we have in preference to God, that's not that every one of us has to give everything away and, and, and you know, become destitute. That's not the point. The point is that God wants to be first. And if there's something that's going to take priority over his word, over his will, then we can't be his children. It can be something very dear and very close to us. It can be my children. It can be my wife or my husband. It can be my occupation. It can be my money, which isn't mine anyway. We're stewards of it. All these things, he wants to be first. And if he's not first, when it comes to a choice, then we're not going to be his children. The, let's see, what was his name? Um, one of the five missionaries that was murdered with the Alcas, uh, by the Alcas, Elliot, um, he said, a man is no fool to give what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And there's an awful lot of truth to that. You know, but we tend in our human nature to hang on to things and try to make a compromise, and it won't work. It won't work. God has to be first. He has to be first in all of our life. He's not the only thing in our life, but he does want to be first. He won't share us with our nation, you know, with our family, you know, with our money. He won't share us with that. He wants to be first. And we can use all those things for good. That's fine. There's no problem with that. What are some obstacles to growth? One is lack of total surrender. You know, conversion is a time of unconditional surrender. We come to God on his terms, not on ours. And I think that's a, a point where many people have a difficulty. We're coming to him on our, if you do this, I'll do this. Uh-uh. No, he won't bargain with us. No. If you answer this prayer, well, then I'll become a Christian or I'll do this or I'll do that. Mm-mm. No, total surrender. There's an illustration that I often think of. Uh, one time I was visiting with my uh, physician, our family physician, and he's a Christian man. I really appreciate him. And he told me a story about one of his patients was a young man. The uh, man was quite overweight. Uh, he was diabetic. And he was in very bad physical condition. Um, but he was a party goer. He loved to drink. He loved to carouse. He loved to be out with the gang and all kinds of things he was involved in. And the doctor looked at him and he said, you're going to have to change your lifestyle. He said, your health is not good. And it was really bad. He said, you've got to give up some of these things. And he, the guy went on, well, you know, I kind of enjoy this. You know, I... You know, it's just fun, you know. We we we. It's nothing, nothing, no big deal, you know. We like to do that. And finally, he looked at him and he said, "You know," he said, "If you don't change your lifestyle, you are going to die." And the fellow looked down, and in a moment, he said, "You know what? I don't like you." That's serious. That the man really said that. But people say the same thing to God too. Yeah. I don't want. I don't. I don't like you. I don't want to have anything to do with this. This is too radical. This is extreme. This is ridiculous. I mean, look at the people around us. Okay. Lukewarmness. Again, the Bible says, "Study to show thyself approved unto God." Studying is hard. I. I don't know anybody that really likes to study, but. When I finally sit down and I start to study, you know, I really enjoy it. But to get there and to sit down and just study, to take that time, there's so many other things I've got to get done first. And I don't know, maybe you're not all like that, but studying is a lot of work. You know, when we, went, when we were in school, if we didn't study, we flunked the tests. At least I did, anyway. And the same is true in our spiritual life. If we don't study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman... They were going to flunk the tests. They were going to flunk the tests. We're going to, leave. We're going to be losers in this life. You know, we're going to live in defeat instead of in victory. And who wants that? Who wants to live in defeat? When I was about, oh, I guess 14, 15, I thought it was going to be a good thing to build up my physical stamina. So I got a set of weights. I 
Three times a week, I'm going to lift weights. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I thought, that was, that was a good deal for a little while. Was, you know, there's a lot of work in this. There's a lot of work building up these muscles and doing these curls and presses and all that stuff. And, and Wednesday, Monday, Friday would come around. And I'd, oh, man, i got time to lift weights again. You know, I really didn't want to, but I did. And I'd get out there doing it. Oh, that felt good, you know. It just, and, and it was working when I was 18. I think it was 18 or 19. I only weighed 120 pounds. And I could take 180 pounds and throw them over my head. I thought, man, this is working. Well, the scripture's the same way. It's going to work. It will work. It's an investment in our time, even though we don't like to necessarily work. That's against our human nature. Is our heart open to the truth, or do we know it already? Do we know enough to get by as a Christian? And the know-it-all attitude is a real curse. And again, an illustration uh, just a few years ago, I had a horse for sale, and it was a nice, gentle gelding. It was, a, it was a good horse. And this man came by to look at the horse, and he brought his granddaughter. I guess he was probably in his 70s, and brought his granddaughter, and I think he's going to buy it for her. And it would have been a good horse for her. And I had tied behind the barn. We went out behind the barn. I started telling him a little bit about it, and he said, he cut me off. He said, I know all about horses. I said, wow. <laughs> I never met anybody like that. So I didn't say anything. And then he steps around behind the horse and reaches down and grabs the horse's left rear hoof, which is about as smart as looking down a gun barrel and pulling the trigger to see if it's loaded. It is really dumb. And fortunately, it was a gentle horse, and it picked his hoof up and shook it in its face a little bit instead of kicking him. And he jumped back, and he said, hmm, kind of spooky, isn't he? And he and his granddaughter left. And I thought, <laughs> do we know it all? Nobody can tell us anything. You know, my brother in the church or sister or whatever might have another perspective on a part of Scripture. I don't want to hear it. No, let's listen to it and be discerning. Be open to the truth, but close to compromise. And sometimes that's a fine line. You know, like some of the things that were talked about this morning, the dentist brought out. You know, what's Paul doing here? Well, some people might have one idea and some another. But, you know, if you get them all together, you're going to get the picture. There's a picture there, and it's for our good. I appreciated that. That was really, really a good lesson, I thought. There was a man in our division um, when I was overseas. And the man was named Ramirez, and Ramirez knew it all. He was a gunner's mate. He knew munitions. He'd been to gunnery school. He was, I don't remember what his rating was, second class, third class, first class, whatever. Anyway, he knew. But he was careless. And his, his associates had warned him a number of times about handling munitions. You've got to be very, very careful. Now, he knew all about them. He had no about Well, Ramirez had a jam in the 50 caliber belt that went into his machine gun. And to get it out, he took a crescent wrench and a screwdriver and started hammering on it to get it out. And about 10 minutes later, he was pronounced dead. The guy that knew it all. Don't need, you mind your own business. Leave me alone. Okay. Okay. An obstacle to growth again is the cost. Is the cost too high? And the rich young ruler is too much. That's just too much. And I was at a, a revival meeting one time. <clears throat> I don't know if any of you were there. Some of you might have been. But this has probably been 25 years ago. It was in Tangent when the Tangent Church was there. <clears throat> and I'd been trying to help a young man who came to Brownsville when I was still at Brownsville. I tried, trying to help him, trying to encourage him. He'd come from a very difficult home life. Um, his family situation for his parents was, was very difficult. But he needed to listen to somebody that could help him. And that was a, that was a tough bridge for him to cross. Anyway, this, the sermon that was given that night was really a good sermon. And I looked over, and he was just, tears were just pouring down his face. He just sitting there. He, he, he was really convicted. And I thought, praise the Lord. And uh, the altar call was given, and he stood up, went out to the aisle, and turned around and went out the back door. Well, 
the cost was too high, I guess. I'd never seen anything like that. Another thing is spiritual pride. Spiritual pride can devastate a whole congregation. And I have known, and you may have too, have known even ministers who have been compromised by spiritual pride. You know, nobody's going to tell me anything. You know, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, this is what we're going. To, this is the way we're going to do it. Well, there may be a place for that at times, but if that's, if that's part of a person's personality, this is not good. This is not good. We need to be open to the truth and discerning enough to keep out the the compromise. Uh, one of the examples in Scripture is uh, Diotrephes. Diotrephes, it says, it doesn't say much about him. It says, he loveth to have the preeminence of men. He likes to be the big cheese. He likes to be the king. He likes everybody. This is, I'm Diotrephes. You know, you're going to listen to what I say. Okay. Nothing more is said about him. Where he is today, I don't know. And just, I guess, in conclusion, um, we need to believe that we do have a need to grow and apply that need. You know, make that work um, by God's grace and study the word and apply it. Uh, there's an example I want to read you here of a man who studied the word and applied it. And here's what happened. This is a man named John Wesley. I'm sure you've heard the name. John Wesley traveled 250,000 miles on horseback, an average of 20 miles a day for 40 years. He preached 40,000 sermons. He produced 400 books. He knew 10 languages. At 83, he was ashamed he could not write more than 15 hours a day without hurting his eyes. And at 86, he was ashamed he could not preach more than twice a day. He complained in his diary there was an increased tendency to lie in bed until 5.30 in the morning. Okay, now, anybody convicted? <laughs> okay, that concludes what I have to say. Although, I do have some homework for you. And this is whosoever will, may, read out loud, sometime by yourself, alone, sometime during the week, just by yourself. Read it out loud. Read 1 Corinthians 13, the first eight verses. But when you get to verse 4, where it says charity, substitute the word I every time it says charity and read it out loud. And if that doesn't give you some indication of room to grow, uh, come see me because I want to talk to you. It does for me. Thank you very much for your attention this morning. Good Lord bless you all. I really appreciate your congregation here. You are you're a real blessing to me, and uh, I just want you to know that. <clears throat> Thank you, Brother Pete, for willing to come and share this morning. Uh, we appreciate your input in this congregation, your um, encouragement. Glad you're here. <clears throat> okay. Somebody have this is open for anybody? A testimony or something you'd like to share? I appreciate what it was shared. I just had to think of all the people who had that good start. We talked about the beginning, uh, but didn't grow. Or maybe they did grow for a while. Maybe they even had a reputation of um, being godly.
Amen. Good. Yeah, when uh, he was talking about that, I thought about back in Exodus, you know, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other God before me, you know. And, uh, you know, there's a reason why that's the first commandment and not the last one. Good question. We live in a world of fear, particularly in this country. It's the wealthiest, most powerful nation the world has ever known, and it's also the most fearful. You know, when COVID comes through, everybody panics. Now, not everybody, but 
there was a mass panic. COVID, COVID, we get COVID. Well, the worst thing that could happen if you get COVID, the very worst thing that could happen is you die. Well, if you die and you're ready to die, so what? I know if you have children and family, that, that makes it a lot different than somebody that doesn't. But, but still, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. Amen. The love, power, and the sound mind. And that spirit of fear is what motivates politicians and the ruling authorities in our nation as well as I think most of the world. But we can live beyond that. It's not that we're oblivious to it. It's not that, you know, if, if there's a, a nuclear war, yeah, but, you know, the, the possibilities are horrible, just absolutely horrible. But, um, you know, where, where's our faith? Where's our trust? You know, that, it doesn't say that doesn't eliminate the possibility of horrible things happening to us. But if our, if our security is really in our Lord, then it's totally different than if people don't have that. They're totally different. Mm-hmm. And the news media and social media right along with it, that's what's planted is this fear. That's what they want. When you can get people to fear, you can control people. And that's what I've said with this COVID thing. You know, how much of God's people is being motivated by fear instead of recognizing that God is on the throne and he's not going to allow anything to happen that he don't want to happen. And um, sometimes it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that, that God is sovereign. God is overall. Um, you know, you just think about the story of the children of Israel when they they had Pharaoh's army behind them. You all know that Bible story. <clears throat> you know, they faced that. They didn't face nuclear weapons. Um, Daniel, the lion's den. Uh, the three Hebrew boys, all those stories, you know, they faced, but their their confidence was in God, not in, yeah, there's, I would agree with Pete, there's a lot of things with nuclear that the ramifications of nuclear war are just astronomical, just, but what am I going to do? Thank you. Someone else. (coughs) I had to think um, when he mentioned, let's see here, I wrote it down. This is not the exact wording he used, but I just penciled down, don't play the blame game. You know, as long as we play the blame game, we're not going to grow. You know, I'm blaming this and that and another thing. And so a little story came to mind. This just happened to me yesterday. I was, I was working on one of my trailers yesterday, and uh, I made this little – there was four holes that all had to line up, right, to get these bolts in. And uh, I cut off the junk and welded some new aluminum in, and, and so I made this little plate – And from the right side to the left side, you had to flip the plate over to make sure that it all lined up, right? Because I should have just drilled the holes dead center of the plate instead of offsetting them. And so from the right side to the left side, so when you're underneath, you have to think backwards, right? Because you're looking at it the wrong way. And so I was there... Working on this thing, George, he was there a little bit. But I need some help. This thing was overhead. I was like, how am I going to push a drill up through there? So I thought, well, I'll just make myself my own drill press and use a floor jack and push the drill up through, right? So my wife came through there, and uh, she left. So I, I was ready to drill these holes, and I didn't have no help. And I said, hey, can, I need your help. Can you come back? She said, I'll be there in a little bit. Well, the one side... I got right, but the other side, I got wrong. And being who I am, I thought, well, who can I? And, of course, the one side was wrong because it was offset. George, he was just a heaving on this thing to try to twist it and try, trying to get these bolts up through there. And it was like, I don't know, eighth inch off, 
three sixteenths of an inch off, almost a half the half half the bolt. And I'm like, George, those bolts are not going to go in there. I said, let's put all the rest in, and I could see by putting all the rest of the bolts in that these two holes are off, and there is no way on this side of eternity that those bolts are going to go in those holes. And so I was dead in her air like, like, oh man, you got to be kidding me. And like, so I started chuckling to myself, well, who can I blame for this? I thought, I'll just blame my wife because she's the one that ran the jack. <laughs> so I got home and I told her, I said, you know what? I said, you misdrilled these two holes. Why is it my fault? I said, because you ran the jack. If you wouldn't have ran the jack, they wouldn't have been drilled wrong. Well, the bottom line is, I did not flip the plate over to drill the... You see what I'm saying? You know, we always look for some... And that has been clear back at Genesis 1. We play... Or Genesis about 3, 2. You know, we play the blame game and we never grow. So, however, we fixed the problem. It did, was not as bad as what I originally thought. I was just couldn't believe that we, I messed up. But, because I knew that going into it. Now, i got to make sure i got this plate flipped right. But, you know, that happens all the time. You know. And uh, I told this story here before. And I'll say it again. You know, many years ago, when I was in school, and our church, the first Six years that I was in school, our church did not, the church that we attended did not have their own school, so we went to a different school. And uh, another church, Christian Day School. And they hired this one teacher, and he was a very educated man. And uh, he should have been, he should have been a, uh, a college professor. I mean, he was very educated. And, of course, trying to treat, teach um, just... A small parochial school, you know, it was a little bit above their level, so to speak. And he was not very well accepted in that community, and there was a lot of negative said about him. And of course, I was just in probably sixth grade, maybe. So I was pretty young. My older brother had him as a teacher, and and he'd come home huffing and puffing about what was going on and how this teacher was and yitty yitty yitty. And my parents would soon shut this thought process down. They were not going to tolerate this kind of talk and around the supper table, dinner table. And uh, you know, years later, I got thinking about this thing. That community really owed this man apology the way they treated him. And I'm like, I don't know where he's at. I don't know what happened to them. And one day, um, this man's um, sister-in-law passed away in his community. And I thought, now's the chance. If he comes for this funeral, I will go to him and apologize for the community and how they treated him. So I was trying to, you know, it was many, many years ago, and I was trying to figure out, you know, who would I even recognize him? Would I? And so I had to ask somebody, and they said, well, no, he's not here, but his wife is. Well, I'll go to his wife. So I made myself known, told him who I was, and uh, I said, do you remember teaching in this community? Oh, yes, she said, I remember. She said, that was a very, very difficult year. And uh, she said, if I re she said it was very, she said the weather that winter was very, very cold. They weren't, they came from the south where they didn't have such harsh Ohio winters that can be there. And I says, well, I says, I don't know if this is right or whatever, but I said, I feel, and I just laid it out. I said, I just really feel I owe you an apology to you and your f husband, your family, for that community, the way they treat you. I said, I had no clue. As a very young boy, I didn't understand everything, but I said, as I thought about that, you know, um, I just want to apologize for that community. And I said, if you'll just take that back to your husband and to accept that. I said, I don't know. And um, 
if this is right, good, or otherwise, but I just feel like I want you to know that my parents did not agree with everything, did not accept, um, you know, to, to tear down, to, um, to, they wanted to be supportive, and, um, and she accepted that. And I had to think about all this. You know, instead of blaming him, blaming, having all this blame game going on, let's take responsibility for our own actions. And so, just like yesterday, you know, who can I blame for this? You know, I was just kind of on the light side chuckling to myself, well, if she went around Jack, we wouldn't have this problem. Well, the problem is I put the plate there, put the pattern there, the bull pattern. But if we're going to grow in our spiritual life, we have to take responsibility for our own actions. And uh, so that being all said, let's uh, continue to grow in the Lord and to take responsibility for our actions. Okay. Do you have a song we can sing? Let's stand. And Timothy, do you want to close in prayer then?